life. Today, we're going to be talking a bit about the fault line of inconsistency. How many of you are inconsistent as humans, okay? I think probably all of us are. There are things that we wish that we were more consistent on. I know that that's true in my own life. Consistency is an issue. And consistency can cause major problems for you if it has to do with your health. Growing up, I was always uh, uh, an athlete, played sports, did that kind of thing, went to the army after that, so like health and fitness were good, but I also had this other thing about me, it's still true, I like to eat, okay? So liking to eat and working out is not necessarily a bad thing because you also, you need the extra calories, but after I got back from the army and finished all my training, finished all my time doing that kind of thing, uh, and I was starting college, got that thing going, I started getting a little lazy, and I put on like 45 pounds in a matter of like a half a year or something, something ridiculous like that. It wasn't like I was completely lazy. I'd get out and do some things, but the consistency was more the issue. And I'll never forget going up the stairs in my university and I was going up and I get to the top and I'm like huffing and puffing after one flight of stairs. I started fat shaming myself. I just did. I know you're not supposed to fat shame anybody, and I don't do that kind of thing, but I was totally fat shaming myself and going, how can you, who were so healthy, get and allow yourself to get to this point? And I was so frustrated, so frustrated with myself, so frustrated with what was going on, but I, it, it, it seemed to be a struggle because I could start working out, and then I'd stop, and I'd start working out, and then I'd stop, sort of the yo-yo. Finally, after that day, I'd had enough. I decided, that's it. I've got to make a change. And when two months, I dropped 40 pounds and never put it back on. I just decided that I needed to do something consistent, to be consistent with my health, to be consistent with going and doing these kinds of things. Here's the issue. Consistency is a problem for all of us, whether it's consistency in making it to church, consistency in keeping a commitment, consistency in living the way that we should and having the right response when our kids are making us crazy, when we're struggling with this thing or that thing. There's always this issue of consistency. And we see this right at the very beginning, just as we did with Peter and with Thomas, that these first followers of Jesus Christ, these ones that had devoted themselves to be faithful, they struggled themselves. Yeah, with consistency, but other things too. Peter, as we learned, was a deserter and Thomas a doubter. But here we're gonna talk about someone whose story is sort of obscure, hidden in the background, but today I want to bring it into the fore for you. And so we're going to be reading in just a few moments out of Mark and the 16th chapter. But I want to start with a verse in Mark 14. Here it says that there was a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment who was following Jesus. And they seized him. And he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Here we pick up the story of Jesus' arrest. And we have this first streaker in all of the Bible coming and showing himself in ways that he was not expecting to. Because when they grabbed hold of him, he's like, I'm not going down like Jesus. And if I got to go down, they're going to have to catch me. And I don't care if I've got to run naked from you. I'm going to run. But I am getting out of here. And so he runs. You know who that is? Tradition tells us that that's actually the person that wrote this gospel. 
that it's Mark. That that's what the church has been saying who this person is from its earliest beginnings. None of the gospel writers lay claim to the gospel. Matthew doesn't, nor Luke, nor John, and certainly not Mark. But this is his story, one of inconsistency, one of streaking and running from the arrest situation because he doesn't want to be anywhere close to this. Sure, he had devoted himself to the Lord, and he was even there at the final moments, but not me, not today. I'm getting out of here. We're going to pick up our reading for this morning back at the crucifixion because there's something really interesting. And if you have your Bible, it'd be nice for you to open it up. If not, I've got it here for you on the screen. Because Mark has two endings. Do you ever notice that? Like there's a little bracket in your Bible and it'll say this. The earliest manuscripts that we have don't have these final verses, the verses 9 through 20. They, they're not in the earliest manuscripts. And there's all kinds of reasons for this, they say. But I want to read where Mark's gospel ends at first. And I want to talk about what I believe is the reason it ends this way and then ends differently later. This is what it says. Don't be alarmed. So now they're at the crucifixion. He said, you are looking for Jesus in Nazarene. Who is crucified? He is risen. He is not here. See the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples in Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now this is the way the gospel ends originally. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to no one because they were afraid the end. Can't end like this. Not this way. Not like this. Yes, the announcement has been made about resurrection, but you've got people afraid, you've got them bewildered, and you've got them silent. They're not talking about what it is that's going on. They're struggling. They're in a place of maybe despair or uncertainty. The gospel seemingly stops here because why they said nothing to no one. But I wonder if we can study maybe the characteristics of Mark or also called John Mark in scripture. Maybe we can understand a little bit about why the gospel, his gospel ends seemingly here. This is not how we've heard that the story ends. So... Sure, there's maybe even some confusion for us. A little, a little backstory. So scholars have been asking themselves the questions about this all along and said, well, why is it this way? If the earliest manuscripts don't have this part of the text, what gives? And some say that there were others that came after him that wrote uh, sort of a postscript. That's not my belief, but that's what some say, that there's a postscript. Others say that maybe there is part of the gospel that was lost. Also don't believe that. I believe that this, in fact, is how the gospel is ended and has ended for Mark to a certain point. He struggled he struggled like all of us struggle. He struggled with this thing called consistency when the arrests came. He's streaking for crying out loud. 
But we also know from Mark that he is 100% convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. He starts his gospel saying as much that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Boom. He believes it. It's not belief that's the issue. But there's something else that's going on. And so I wanted to do a little bit more examination to maybe see if we could figure out why it is that he's responding the way that he is responding. Why he is acting the way that he's acting. We pick up his story again. He sort of goes silent, but he decides he's going to go on a missionary journey with Paul and Silas later. Now you've got uh, John Mark and you've got Paul, not Silas, Paul and Barnabas together traveling. And they are an evangelistic duo that is reaching the world with the gospel. They are going in power. They are seeing God move. Paul and Barnabas are the greatest duo that the church had known up to this point, And they are carrying the gospel to places it had never been. And with them is John Mark. But we pick up his story again in Acts chapter 15, which says that sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers. So they've completed their first missionary journey, getting ready to start the second. And all of the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them at Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left and commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. So we see this characteristic of John Mark as someone that's yet again being inconsistent. Not only has he abandoned Christ at his most critical hour of need, he's now abandoning the evangelistic duo. And Barnabas wants to like just let him back in as if he hasn't just totally distant and totally left him hanging. If you're asking, Pamphylia is basically the third stop, third or fourth stop on the journey of a pretty long journey, pretty early into the game, John Mark is deserting them. He'd seen enough of the floggings. He'd seen enough of the shipwrecking and all of the other things that had gone on. And he says, eh, I'm good. It's not that Jesus isn't God. It's just I'm struggling with my own measure of consistency because I don't know that if in the next town, you guys might die. And if you read through the book of Acts, He's not wrong. They get flogged. They get beaten. Bad stuff happens to them, but they persist. And Mark is having a problem with consistency because maybe like he, like us, he wonders, I thought following God should make my life better. But it feels like actually in following the Lord, my life sometimes feels worse. There's evidence of a very real and present adversary and Mark is just not sure that he wants to mix it up this way. Not like this. And I feel like for us that that's really the problem that we have with consistency in just about every area. Whether it's showing up and, and being where we say we're going to be, being consistent with a pattern or a habit. My kids they all say to me, Dad, I want to learn an instrument. 
But then when it comes time to practice, they're not there and, and they don't want to do it as consistently as they need to. And I remind them, to be great at any instrument, it takes 10,000 hours of practice. 10,000 hours seems like an awful lot of practice time. Not something that's going to happen in a year or two or three. But it takes a lifetime commitment. And though they want to be good musicians, they would love to be able to stand and play and have everybody look in awe at how great they are at their craft. The investment sometimes is more than they want to pay. It's not just true of music. It's true of anything. And I, I want to ask some questions about this because I wonder if, like John Mark, we have something that we can learn about what it means to be consistent. And here's what I found really is the issue with him. I think Mark, like us, is too so focused on the goal or what it is that he hopes to accomplish that he's missing the most important part about the goal, which is the process. Here's what I mean. We can set a GPS coordinate to Chicago, but we can't just get to Chicago because we want to go. We can't say, oh, I might want to be in Chicago. We actually have to get in our car, jump on an airplane, or maybe take a train, or maybe walk, or take a bike. But you still have lots of goals, small goals, to get you to the destination, which is called process. This is where we get bogged down. Because Mark knows that Jesus is the Son of God. But he's finding himself bewildered, not saying and announcing it as much because he himself is struggling with some consistency issues. The same consistency issues that we struggle with. We make our vows. We pledge and we mean it. We believe with all of our heart we're going to follow through, but there are reasons for our inconsistency. And I hope to maybe just do some practical teaching this morning and how, and how it is that we can overcome our fault lines of inconsistency that seem to move and show up at all the right times. Husbands that say that they are going to speak more kindly to their children and then the first fault flare up again, speak in anger. Showing up on time to work even though it cost you your last job. It's so easy to fall into these negative patterns. Here's what I've learned. Is that if we're going to overcome these fault lines, the first thing, and this is most important, you gotta show up. You gotta show up to practice an instrument. You gotta show up to experience life change at church. You've got to show up at life group. You've got to show up at work if you want to get paid. You've got to show up. And if you don't show up to the gym, if you don't show up at home, if you don't show up when you say you're going to be somewhere, what happens is, is that people start questioning whether or not what you say is true. Are you a reliable witness? Would we say that Mark is a reliable witness? It seems that he's not reliable. He bails on Paul and Barnabas at Pamphylia. He's bailing on Jesus. He is someone that if we were to write his story the way that we are this morning, it would sound a lot like it ends here. They said nothing to no one. They were bewildered. They were afraid. 
Doesn't that sound consistent with the behavior that we're seeing from John Mark? Now, I'm out on this. And his effect was so great that it breaks up the greatest evangelistic duo in the history of the church. The, the disagreement is so sharp because why? Mark doesn't show up. But Mark doesn't want his story to end like this. So he goes back to Jerusalem. He starts hanging out with Peter, which is the time in which he begins to write the gospel. He knows some of the stories firsthand, but Peter is helping him. We know this because in 1 Peter 5.13, he says that Mark sends his greetings. Peter is writing from Jerusalem. He's talking about this. And he says that Mark is with him and Mark is also greeting the church, that he's there, he's named, he's a background character. And so it's here that he's writing the gospel, but it's also here that he's learning to show up. If you want to be a good spouse, you need to show up and be a good spouse. If you want to be a faithful disciple, you need to show up. When it comes time for devotions in the morning, you need to be present to that moment. It requires effort. It requires good habit building. The second thing, as we're going through this process, is we've got to anticipate adversity. <laughs> we don't expect that it's going to be as hard as it is to do anything that we want to do. But somewhere in the middle of what it is that we're trying to do, we are all going to feel the negative pushback because doing anything great requires the effort, effort to become great. And having that effort is part of the issue. And it's in the middle that it gets a little bit murky because sometimes it's not that we don't want to do it. It's just that we're struggling in the middle somewhere to accomplish what it is that we're supposed to. It seems to me that Mark is surprised by what he finds on the journey. It's not that Jesus didn't say it wouldn't be difficult. In this life, you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus tells them explicitly that this is going to be the way that it is, and he tells us the same. But then when we face the bumps, the, the difficult moments, we realize it isn't all sunshine and rainbows. We can really get bogged down in our process. I was watching one of those survival shows. I like to watch them, but more to watch the people that are trying to survive in these shows. And what was interesting is they had one show recently and they show sort of these outtakes of these people that have failed to stay whatever distance that they're supposed to, 40 days, 21 days or whatever, out in the wild doing these things. They give them just bare essential survival gear. And the person looking and evaluating the situation says after, I had no idea that it was going to be this hard. It looks so much easier on TV. I said, what part of being dropped off in the middle of nowhere with like one tool is not hard in your mind? You really thought that this was going to be easy? You're out of your ever-loving mind. Of course, this is going to be hard. Of course, doing anything with purpose is going to be hard. And you need to expect that it's not going to be easy. This is where things begin to break down for Mark and often break down for us. Because sometimes we have to show up and then we have to expect adversity. I remember pretty early on in a church where I didn't have staff back in the first days that we were here. And so it was pretty much just up to me. And I remember one day I had come down and it was bad. I had fever. It was about 102. And um, I wasn't like um, coughing or anything like that. It's sort of the first phase. But I just felt terrible. 
There's no one else to do it. I showed up here and I just said, God, you're just going to have to provide the gaps that I can't provide and, and, and just help to fill these places because I don't have the strength to do it. I preached that day and the power of God just moved through this church. And I remember having this supernatural strength, but it came from showing up. I don't advise showing up sick all the time, but there's sometimes you just do because the circumstance requires you to. You got to anticipate there's going to be adversity. And if everyone could do it, everyone would. What makes a great musician a great musician is that they showed up every day to practice. What makes someone a great disciple, the same is true. Great husband, also true. Great wife, also true. Show up, anticipate adversity. It's not gonna be easy all the time. This is where Mark really has a great misstep. Is he, I think, has different expectations. We all do. The third thing that I feel like is important is that we've got to learn to keep our why in focus. Why is it that you want to make the changes? Where is it that you want to have and see reform? If you don't understand your why, there's not going to be enough motivation in the world to keep you going. If there's not a good enough why, and I've talked to people that have had health issues, and they can't stay consistent, and they'll come to me and say, you know, I want to get my life more healthy. I want to make better choices. I want to live healthier. And then when the adversity comes... They just fall back into old patterns. Partly because it takes 66 days of consistently doing something before it becomes a habit. And much sooner to develop a bad habit. So if it takes 66 days of doing something steady for you to build a habit, then it, and it's easier to fall into a bad habit, that's where the struggle comes. But a lot of it is because we're not orienting ourselves with our why. We're so focused on the goal that we forget the process. The why is what keeps us going. I'll never forget, I was watching the Super Bowl 27s back in the day, and the Dallas Cowboys were playing the Buffalo Bills as just a kid, and I remember watching the game, and Leon Lett recovers a fumble for the Dallas Cowboys, and he starts running the ball into the end zone. He is running full speed, but he notices himself on the jumbotron, and he starts looking at himself running in there, and he like lifts his hands for the crowd, and they are going nuts. But... Because he's so focused on the goal and not the process, he didn't notice that Don Beebe from the Buffalo Bills, the wide receiver, was running behind him. And on the one-yard line, he gets stripped of the ball, fumbles the ball, and the Bills recover. He has the moment to experience fame and glory on football's greatest stage. And he fails because he's so looking at the goal that he forgets the process. Score the touchdown and then celebrate. Don't celebrate before you get there because adversity is certain to come for you, for me. And keeping our why in focus, why I'm doing what I'm doing, this matters a lot. Now, with Mark, he starts to realize this and he's like, I'm going to have to prove myself if I'm going to be trusted in the way that I want to be trusted. So after Jerusalem, he shows back up in our Bible at this real obscure place. We find this story again in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10. Here's what it says. My fellow prisoner, Erasticus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now listen to this parenthetical statement. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, 
welcome him. Paul is sending a letter because everyone probably is aware of the inconsistency of Mark. But Mark the deserter is now a fellow prisoner with Paul. Not bound by in the same constraints, perhaps there voluntarily, but he is with Paul in prison. He is earning his trust again. And now Paul trusts him enough to send him out with a letter in advance saying, I know that this guy was a deserter, but he is proving himself to me by being with me in the most difficult and critical moments of my life. And he sends you his greetings and I'm gonna send him to you and when he comes, I want you to welcome him. But it didn't happen just because he wanted to. It happened because he showed up he understood that he needed to be somewhere and he consistently started to go about rebuilding his character and rebuilding trust. You see, so often in marriage problems, when trust is the issue, they want someone just to give them trust. You gotta earn that trust back and that takes a minute. It doesn't just happen just because you want it. You don't just become good at something by osmosis or because you want it. You have to be consistent about it every single day. And here we see Mark putting back in the legwork. He's willing. Fourth thing we see him do is he's becoming accountable. And if we want to be successful over the long period of time, we need someone to be able to hold us accountable. Accountability is a struggle. And most of the time when we falter, it's because we don't have that accountability partner. When I wanted to get back in the gym, the first thing I did is I found someone to go to the gym with me. I don't need that anymore. But in the beginning, I needed somebody that was going to call me on the phone and say, hey, we're going to the gym today. I don't feel like it. They said, come on. You know you want to get in shape. You know you want to turn some things around. And I began a process through accountability to reform and rebuild. John Mark is doing the very same thing. He's developed accountability. He doesn't want to slip back into an old pattern. One of the reasons people don't stick to something is they don't have this in their life. They don't have someone holding them accountable, making sure that their eyes are always focused on the right thing. And because they don't, inconsistency can easily creep back in, get you trapped back into a bad habit that could cost you much more than you're willing to pay. Here's the truth. If no one is counting on you, then you are in an unhealthy place. If no one is counting on you, you are in an unhealthy place. If you are always bailing on those that are counting on you, you are in an unhealthy place. And you know what will happen if you continue that? They'll stop counting on you. Trust is built by consistent effort over time. And now Barnabas not Barnabas, John Mark, is wanting to rebuild his character, but he's having to show it over time. It wasn't just that he showed up once with Paul, but he showed up consistently, so much so that he's willing to walk with him in prison. And he gets to the point, and this is pretty powerful, and sort of the end note of what we see about him. Paul says, everyone has left me, only Luke is with me. But you know who I want you to go get? I want you to go get Mark, and bring him with you because he is helpful to me and my ministry. Paul's the same one. They got in a fight with Barnabas because he said, I don't want John Mark anywhere around me. Paul's near the end of his life. 
And he says, you know what? Everyone's left me, but I know someone who won't. Go get me John Mark. The fault lines of consistency have been completely healed and, and, and resolved. He's not considered an inconsistent person anymore. Why? Because at some point, he had to forgive himself and move on. Our lives are all noted by both consistency and inconsistency, but it's the inconsistency that costs us the most. It's those places. And sometimes we can do a great job of just belittling ourselves and getting to the point where we fail to move forward. And so the story ends with they were afraid, they were bewildered, and they said nothing. But Mark decides it can't end like this. Fear, silence, brokenness, confusion. We all feel the pain of those moments when we let ourselves down, when we don't stay as consistent as we want to. We let our family, those closest to us, uh, suffer because we're not there and we're not doing what we should. And someone were to write about our lives at those moments, how would they read? Probably a lot like Mark ends. Oh, we mean to do better. It's just hard. And I think that's sort of what we see from Mark. And people have asked the question about it. He goes, well, we don't think it's Mark that's writing because the vocabulary changes. There's 17 words that are never used anywhere else in his gospel that show up in the last 11 verses or so. So it couldn't be Mark that writes it. I'm gonna ask you something. Has your language changed through the years from the age of five to say 15? Have you learned more words? How about from high school to college, those of you that are there? About, how about parenting? And those of you that have had the privilege of even grandparenting, language adjusts and changes over time. And I think that that's the most fallacious or crazy argument that you could possibly have, that he didn't write it just because he's found some new words. Here I believe that what we see from Mark is that he writes a postscript to his own gospel. He revisits his text again. And he has something else to say. Because now the evangelist isn't silent or afraid anymore. Instead, he has forgiven himself. He has moved on. And now he has a different story to tell about what the future looks like. And I want to invite the worship team to come back up. He has a different accounting of how the story ends. Because there's been some distance, some time. And he's learned to be consistent and so he ends the gospel again. He revisits the gospel and writes these words. And he says to them, this is how it actually ended or what happened after. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his words by signs and wonders that accompanied it. 
What changed? Mark changed. We're not talking about someone that's wondering about what's going to happen next. He was likely there with Paul when the snake bit him on the hand and he threw it into the fire because Paul was already a prisoner at that point. And we see from the text that we know that he was with Paul in prison. He saw the apostles laying hands on him and he probably joined them in those prayers. It wasn't the story of someone that was watching this or hoping for it at one point but someone that lived it when we laid our hands on the sick they got well when we put our hands on blind people we saw their eyes open this is the story and these are the signs for those that believe and when we are consistent in our faith we can have the same confidence that signs like these will also be true of us Now, we're not chasing around snakes trying to pick them up. But if one bites you, as a believer, you can trust. And through the years, we have seen that others have had this same truth happen for them. Some have been given deadly poison and then not harm them. Does that happen for all of them? No. But it happens for many of them. But all of these signs are things that accompany those that believe. But to get there, we, like Mark, have to learn to forgive ourselves for the places that we've been inconsistent. You can't do anything about what you did yesterday. You can't do anything about the failure you had this morning on the way to church. But you can do something right here and right now That's to forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Some years ago, when I was pastoring in Pennsylvania, this young girl, and I noticed when she came in to service that she had cuts all down her arms. I had my suspicions. I thought, this is a cutter. She's going through something. So I went up with my wife, and we just began a conversation with her and said, why, why are you doing this? She said, well, when I was younger, I did something terrible. And every time I heard about that, I just dig into my arm. And I, and I know it's not making me feel better, but it's maybe just a release of the pain that I feel on the inside of my soul. I said, God can heal your soul. You don't need to cut anymore because of the mistakes you've made in the past so that you can feel the pain and think that you're paying some sort of penance or punishing yourself or trying to alleviate this sensation that you have on the inside, you can overcome. She said, I don't know how. And I said, it starts with forgiveness, knowing that God forgives you. And then for you to forgive yourself. We prayed a prayer that day. That was the last time she ever cut. And this woman with a soul wound, so torn up, so beaten up, became became one of the greatest evangelists in that church, going out to places throughout the city, reaching people that I had no idea she even knew, telling them about how God could forgive and heal them from a first-hand perspective of how God forgave and healed her. These signs will follow those that believe. For Mark, he needed a postscript. And I think that's probably true of all of us, that we need a postscript, that we need to continue the writing. That just because it's ended like this so far doesn't mean that that's the final story. 
In fact, it can't end like this, not with you. It certainly didn't end that way with Christ. And God means for us to take new steps and to boldly declare that we are not going back to the life that we used to live and embrace the new that God wants to do in you and us today with new signs, with new wonders, with new miracles to continue to tell the story. The story of what it means to follow Christ. The story of how God can heal our inconsistencies and make us consistent. I feel like for just a few minutes, we need to let God do some soul work inside of us. And so what I want everybody to do is just stand to your feet and I just want to pray over you. And then we're just going to worship for a minute. Just let God do something inside of us heal those broken spaces, those fault lines in us and make us alive in him. Heavenly Father, right now, we just pray that your supernatural grace would just begin to move across this congregation. Lord, we've all failed. And the guilt of those failures for some right now is so overwhelming because they're thinking about all of the woulda, shoulda, couldas. And Lord, they need your mercy just to begin to unshackle them from the painful past that they continue to live in. I pray, God, that you would supernaturally just begin to open their eyes and help them to realize that they don't have to be who they have been. For some... Maybe they've fallen away and they're not following you even at all. They're, you're not even Lord and Savior of their life. I pray that those, Lord, would make you Lord even now. That they take a moment to pray, to seek your face, and to call you Lord again and ask you, Lord, to forgive them of their past. For others, maybe consistency has just worn them down and worn them out. I just pray, God, that you would help them to find new life in you. This song that the worship team is about to lead us in gives this lyric, your promise still stands. Just as God knew that Peter was going to fail, just as God knew that Thomas was going to doubt, he knew that John Mark would run away, he would desert, he would struggle with consistency. And yet he called him a vital person, one that wrote a gospel that many believe was the very first to be written and that the others take their lead from. One that wrote powerful words about Jesus' testimony. If God can restore him, he can restore you. His promise for you is just as good as it's ever been. So as we sing this song, I just want you to allow the healing grace and presence of the Lord just to wash over you. Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.